0: As you turn to First John chapter 3, I want to mention something about our last um, time together in, in El Salvador. Um, many people don't know that I went there. I was there with the group last uh, the, the week that we were in El Salvador. And um, the reason I've never gone before is because... Uh, Julie and I go back to New Zealand and Fiji on a yearly basis. The time that it takes to get there is about 20 to 24 hours of traveling, including including the layover, the 18-hour difference, all the things that, that take place. Just it's most people can't go, and so with this trip to El Salvador, I've, I've never, I've always not taken that because I didn't want to take a place. I wanted other people who could go uh, have that opportunity. Uh, to go to, um, to El Salvador, which is only about a three, three-and-a-half-hour trip. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I went. It was a, um, a great trip. It reminded me a lot of our work in Fiji, the people, the, the climate, things like this. Um, the couple of pictures I have there, one I think was shown last week of the uh, panoramic view of uh, the, the town that we did most of our work in. And then the, the main reason were the people that we went to. This one, the other panoramic view is a, a group one afternoon. We, we had some questions and answers and talked about leadership with a group in a in the place called uh, Ataco. And the people were wonderful. Uh, the trip was great. Uh, as I've said before, if you have an opportunity to go, if you can make this such a trip, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, trip overseas, uh, seeing how other people live, seeing how you can reach out to others is just uh, invaluable. So I I too want to encourage you to do that. The group that we went with was a wonderful group. Um, One thing that was really neat about it is I noticed that none of the team members, the teenagers or the adults, split up and got into their own little groups. They were reaching out continuously to um, to the El Salvadorians. Uh, they were getting out of their comfort zones, reaching out to other people, and it was just wonderful. Uh, one of the privileges you get on, a, on a, a journey like this is getting to know better the people that you're with. And the neatest thing for me was um, going, traveling from Atlanta down to um, El Salvador, I got to sit by Daniel Wisehart. He's 15. Uh, last time I saw him, he was six. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just you know that's the way it is I mean you turn around they're grown up you know that uh you' if you're not actively involved in the teen group or the elementary group you know it's just like you see them running around and and suddenly they're they're teenagers and he and I had a great visit as we as we flew down together uh he you know all those teenagers they're maturing and to be uh to be godly people. The potential down there is great uh, we need to pray for for uh, Dwayne and Charlotte. Uh, tremendous potential in that little town that they're working in, and, uh, and sometimes it's not the easiest work, and so we need to continue to pray for them. Um, adjusting to a new culture is difficult, a new language. I asked Dwayne, I said, so are you getting comfortable with the culture and the language? And he said, no. <laughs> and yet he was able to speak and, you know, communicate with people. And, and yes, it's, it's difficult to think and to speak in a different language. I do want to talk about the leadership. Uh, you know, a lot of times people see Rodney. He's over there in the back. He's the teen minister. Yeah, unless you're involved in teens, he's just some goofy teen minister or something. Uh, but, you know, he led this group. He did a marvelous job. I think sometimes we don't appreciate the, the effort that it takes. Um, he just did a great and wonderful uh, job in organizing it. Two things I noticed about Rodney. First of all, <clears throat> um, you know, I never ask for water. Neil, could I get a glass of water, please? I never, you know, I, I never do that. But I was up till 3.30 this morning, not studying my Bible, but with grandchildren. So my mouth is just suddenly, whoo. All right, anyway, I was talking about Rodney. Uh, what, yeah, he, and he, he makes my mouth go dry. <laughs> No, I mean he he his or two things about him the the organization was he just did a great job the 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 whole trip just ran like clockwork it was just a wonderful job and if you've never been able to work closely with him uh, perhaps you don't know that but he's just well organized the second thing is he really cares for the people he cares for your kids. If you're about to bring children into the teen program, let me tell you, he cares for the kids. He he was constantly concerned about, thanks so much. Yeah, I didn't know whose this was and who drank it. (laughs) He he was constantly concerned uh, about their physical safety, their physical um, well-being. But even more important, which I really loved is as he shared with us, in the morning devotionals and the evening, the spiritual direction that he was giving the teens, the pointing them to Jesus, looking at their attitudes. And I think that was, that was just great. Um, anyway, I commend him highly for his work and his uh, work here and his work there. Now, a funny thing about it, though, as we the first day we got there, we were being placed in our rooms and Dwayne was trying to figure out where everyone was going and we were staying, a group was staying across the street and a group was staying about a block away. And those, those were the main two places. And he said, uh, okay, I'm going to put you and Rodney in the same room. And, of course, I had to take that opportunity to tease Rodney. I said, oh, man, I hope you don't snore. I, you, know, you know, you know, I hope, you know, you're easy, you're easy, uh, you, know, you know, if we have to share of the same bed. I mean, you know, you know, we went on and on. We got to the, the place. And Rodney got there before I did, and he came out of the room, and he said, I've already chosen my bed. And, yeah, I thought the same thing. And I walked in, and there was a bed, and there was a cot, and he had his things on the cot. And I said, Rodney, Rodney, you don't have to take the cot. You can sleep in the bed. And he said, no, I, I'm fine with the cot. That's, that's good. And I said, uh, we were teasing back and forth. I said, now, you better not mess with me. You know, I know how you take selfie pictures all the time. Let's put this <laughs> selfie picture up. Here's one. You know, he goes out and he takes these selfie pictures, uh, like, and he goes around to all the graduations, tries to, tries to go to all the, this I think is Rain's graduation, and he has this picture of like, he's astonished that they graduated, or he's astonished they are allowing him to, them to, him to take a picture with them, or something like that, and, I, and he told me about taking a picture of someone sleeping like that, and I was like, you better not do that, and he promised me, he said, okay, I won't, I won't. And I appreciate that. He made the mistake of not asking me to take a picture of him. So early one morning, I, I wake up and quietly go over to his cot and did my best impression of Rodney. My only regret in showing that is, I know there's payback coming. So, be nice, Rodney. No, but I do want to just. It was it was wonderful being there with this group. I can't say enough. I better go on before we uh, before we run out of time. Uh, turn to First John three twenty two and twenty three. <clears throat> Confidence before God. Interesting. We ask anything. That's taken from a quote from the text. And let's go ahead and read verses 21 through 23, getting the context in verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of. Of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. I've said this before. Part of our problem in understanding the gospel, the good news, that's what that word means, is that we are unaware of how good the news is. And I think the reason we have a hard time grasping the good news is we don't understand how great and awesome God is. We can't understand how great and awesome is. He is. We can grow to understand that, and we need to continue to grow in that, but I don't think we can ever fully understand how good the news is until we begin to understand how great God is. And as we begin to see the majesty of God, we can see in contrast how vile our sins are. And I've talked about, I've described these sins as in, in early in 1 John as what we consider as misdemeanor sins and felony sins. And that's just a human way of looking at it. We all know that all our sins are felony sins because all our sins separate us from from God. And as we look at those little sins in our lives and compare them to the great God we serve, we can begin to understand the great news, the good news that we have. When we see and understand that grandeur, that magnificence of God, we see our own sinfulness, it should humble us, And amaze us that the Almighty, or the El Shaddai, as he is called in in the Hebrew, provides salvation for us. You know, there are these words that we, we look in a few minutes. We're going to look at this word, the name of Jesus Christ, the Son. We're going to look at some names of God. Names of God doesn't mean what he is called. It means his character. Anytime you see in the Bible the name of it's, not, it's speaking about his character. It's coming out of who he is. And so there's different names to describe the different person, the, not the different personality, the different aspects of his character. When I was in El Salvador, I remember the first day I, uh, I asked someone had a hard time pronouncing my name. And they do in Fiji, too. They call me Ellen in Fiji instead of Alan. All right. I was asked, when do you have a girl's name? And so I said, Well, is there a Spanish equivalent? Is there a Spanish name for Alan? They go, No, no. They said, Well, what does Alan mean? And I said, Well, it actually means handsome. (laughs) And they said, Oh, El Guapo. (laughs) So, El Guapo. But, you know, those names bring out character, who you are. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, but sometimes it does. In God's case, it does, of course. He is the Almighty. The El Shaddai. And that's why he's also called El Yeshua. God of my salvation. And that's why he sent his son, Yeshua, Jesus, salvation to us. And so what is our response to this good news? This great news that he sends us. And we should have always have a biblical response. We need to search the scripture and say, well, what is my response to this? How should I respond to this good news? And John explains it in the middle of our weakness, he says. In the middle of our sins, when our conscience accuses us and condemns us, he says we can set our hearts at rest. And That's absolutely amazing. We looked at that in our last lesson. That is not my natural response when I look at God and look at my sins that I can set my heart at rest. My, the opposite Is actually what my feelings tell me not to set my heart at rest. And John describes it this way. He says it's confidence. A word which means to speak openly, to speak freely. And this is how we approach God. Speaking freely, openness. Chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. We set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. And the result of this relationship can only be described as rest. And it's something that's so unbelievable that people who have been Christians 50 years and longer still struggle with this. Having a hard time believing this, that we can have confidence before God. But like I said, we have to have a biblical response. We want to look at the Bible and say, what is my response to this? And so, John tells us that holy God, El Hakadosh, the God of glory, El Hakavad, which means weighty, powerful, honor. This great God says to us, you are my technia, my little children. That word that we've used several times that John continues to use when he says, you are my little lambkins. You're my little children. The word that a nanny would use with the little children in the nursery. I am your Abba. Your daddy. Your father. And so the news is so good we tend to disbelieve. So John further expands his thoughts and he gives us even more than this. Who we are in Christ and he tells us In this passage, the most amazing confidence we have before the Most High God, the El Elyon. And you'll receive from Him anything we ask. Because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. Wow. This confidence that we can go before God and ask anything. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Confidence. You know, I, I, I wonder, I, I thought hard, why this word bothers us. Confidence before God. And I think it's because we associate confidence with cockiness. And this confidence is not cockiness. In our twisted thinking, sometimes we think that confidence is just striding up to God with a smirk on our face. Spring in our steps. Throw our hat on his desk or keep it on our head. Sit down, hands clasped behind our heads, addressing God. Hey, what's up? It's not cockiness. It's not that at all. Every encounter in the Bible, as you read through and you see people coming face to face with not God, a symbol of God even. It's not even God. We, no one ever actually sees God. Sometimes they fall down as dead or in dread when they come in face to face with the Most High. And yet, as you read through the Bible, there are times like Moses when we see a con- just a conversation going on. He's, he's conversing with God. Moses didn't fall down at the burning bush. He approached it. He was said, take your shoes off, a sign of reverence says he covered his face at first when he spoke to God. And we continue to read about Moses and his com- his conversations with God. There's a boldness, there's a confidence. There's freely speaking his mind, not holding anything back, not hiding, not pretending. And we see this over and over with people who have relationships with God throughout the Old Testament, this, this freedom of speech. And sometimes if you're reading it, you think, This is amazing that they would even think to say such a thing to God. Sometimes they disagree with God. And continue that conversation. And then we see it in Jesus himself. Jesus was God in the flesh. And Peter rebukes Jesus at one time. They argue in front of him. We see this free inter-exchange between Jesus, the Son of God, and people and the reason that we can have confidence if a true confidence is that confidence is god centered we never look at ourselves and say you know i deserve a, re- a relationship with god that's that's cockiness that's not confidence we don't look at our talents we don't think oh how fortunate god is to have me on his side our confidence is rooted in who he is his grace in the gift of salvation his mercy and opening and leading us into the way, the truth, and the life. It's all centered in who He is. Our confidence is based in His Son and His work and His righteousness. Psalms chapter 27, verse 1 says, The Lord, He is my light and my salvation. He's my light and salvation. So, who am I going to be afraid of? Confident. Because of the Lord, because he's my light, he's my salvation. And all throughout the scriptures, we'll see this over and over, this confidence, this boldness, this courage that we are to have. Um, In this little book here, four times he's going to use the word confidence. We've looked at one in chapter 2, verse 28. This is the second time. Later on, we'll look at it in chapter 4 and then in chapter 5. But but let me read a a, a few very briefly. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 6. Let me get over here. 3 Verse 6. The word here is courage in the NIV. It's the same word as confidence. He says here, But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage or we hold on to our confidence and the hope to which we boast. He says, We've got to hang on to that confidence. We've got to hang on to that courage. Because he is we are his house if we do so. And then he says in chapter 10 of the same book, chapter 10, verse 19. Um, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. And if you know anything about Jewish history, no one can go into the most holy place. You would be instantly struck dead. And he says, we have confidence To enter the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus. It's centered in Him again. Philippians chapter 1, Paul's facing death, and he prays that he states that he is confident, confident that he will have the courage, the boldness to face execution. And it's based in Christ. It's not based in his own personal confidence, his own personal courage. He says, For me, to live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. And then the second Corinthians chapter three, one of my favorite passages. He in verse 12, he says this, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Therefore, this tells you the reason we have such a hope and it's centered and anchored in Christ. We are very bold. And then he goes on to say how he says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The boldness is centered in God. It's a God-centered boldness. I am bold. I'm very bold because the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit is, where the Lord is, there's freedom. And that's where I am. And then he goes on to say in verse 17. Now the Lord is a spirit. Where the Lord is spirit, spirit is, there is freedom. And then the result of this trans- uh, transformation in in verse 18. It's we who with unveiled faces all reflect. We reflect the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That's the result of that boldness anchored in Christ. I'm becoming more like him. And the more I become like him, the bolder I am. The more confident I am. am. And again, that's not in my own confidence. So where does this lead us? Where does this confidence lead us? Where does this boldness lead us? And John tells us right here, you can ask anything, anything you ask. Let's let's read that once again. First John three. He says, um, our hearts do not condemn us. We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. You know that I, I, I have been asked more than once. What in the world is that talking about? What is that talking about? He says we can receive anything we ask. What does he mean? And what's rolling in your head are the things you've asked for and you haven't received. You asked for some things and you didn't get it. So you say, well, what, what's happening here? And we all know this isn't carte blanche. It's not a, it's not a blank check. That conflicts with Scripture and it conflicts with logic. For instance, if two Christians are praying for the same job. Two Christians want a job. There's only one position open. Two Christians are praying for the same job. Does that, does that confuse God? Does he go, oh, no. I promised I would give them anything they ask, and now both of them happen to be asking at the same time for the same thing. I don't know what to do. Of course not. And so we just know logically it's not talking about things like that. How about have you ever prayed for someone to get well and they don't? Is God reneging on his promise? James says, "You ask, and you do not receive, because you ask it in selfishness, self-focus in your asking." So here's the first point here. The very first point he's saying is you ask how? In confidence. Confident asking. If you don't divide the verses up, and our, our, our Bibles do, if you just read it in a sentence, he says we have confidence before God and receive anything we ask. Just It goes in all there together. We're confident. We go to God in confidence. Why? Because he's a good God. Jesus taught us that. He's a good God. He's a generous God. Read James. He's generous and he wants to give. He's kind. He's gracious. This is the God that would come so we can go before him. We can ask in confidence because this is the God that we serve. Amen. So what does it mean? Anything we ask. Okay. What does that mean? Now, if you stop and think about it for a moment. There's a lot of things that we thought we wanted at one time. We even asked for. But later on, we're glad we didn't get. You ever do that? How about the person you fell in love with? You want to marry them. You want to live with them forever. They broke your heart. You cried for days. Later, you look back and think the Lord that they, they broke your heart. Maybe the university didn't accept you. You had to go down a different road, and later you can thank God. I'm glad I didn't get accepted to where I thought I wanted to go. Every story, every every culture tells the story of our version of the genie and the lamp, where someone asked for something, thinking they this is what they really needed, wanted, and then didn't turn out the way they thought. God is not that kind. God is not a, a genie in the lamp that we ask for something, we get it and go, oh, may, may, I didn't want that. We know we can't know all the circumstances of life. And as we mature, as we grow up, we realize many times the thing that we wish for at one point in our life, we're glad we didn't get later. What's the answer, though? You're saying we're still talking around it a lot. What's the answer? What does he mean? First of all, in the context, he tells us, he says, we're asking an awesome God. Verse 21, he says, he knows everything. You can have confidence when you go before God and ask him because he knows things that you don't know. He can deal with things in a different way, in, in a way that you can't see. He sees the future. He sees the past. He sees how everything works out. And it's not confusing to him. Have you ever thought of if I did this and then I did this and then and then kind of if you have a good enough imagination, say, "Well, but but then that wouldn't be good for me." So maybe I need to back up and read. You know, if we if we could plan out our lives, we'd make a mess out, out out of it. It's God who directs us. We can ask in confidence because we ask a God who knows what we should have and what we shouldn't have. Let me give you a silly illustration. My mother's sitting right here, so. This is how I remember the story. All right? I think I went to my mother and said, can I have a sheet? And she's like, oh, this is in New Zealand, okay? I was seven years old, eight years old. Can I have a sheet? Well, what do you want a sheet for? Well, I'm going to go on the roof. And I'm going to jump off the roof, and I'm going to parachute down. And this little cartoon, this better start working fast. You know, a parent could say, you don't, don't really want that. Oh yeah, I do. I, I want to. I want to float down off the roof. And my mom said, "Look, you'll you, you'll just hit the ground. You won't you won't float down. You'll hit the ground. You just go straight down." And I was like, "No, I've seen it in cartoons and all this." And and she said, "When your dad gets home, he'll explain it to you." And sure enough, he did. I mean, he says like, "Okay, when you you fall, the first second it's thirty six feet." How am I? 32, thank you. It's 32 feet. See, he still knows. 32 feet the first second, The 64 feet the second second. And it says, and it takes, you know, your, the volume of air has to come into the parachute and fill it up, and you'll have to fall like 200 feet before it fills it up enough. And so the, the, your, the roof is only 18 feet, and so you just fall down and hit the ground. I really thought I wanted to float down off my roof. And I'm glad my mother said no. I'm glad my dad explained why. Sometimes we ask for God for something we really don't want. We really don't want it. It's really not our desire. And God is gracious enough to ignore our foolishness. So let me ask this. What do you really want? What do you really desire? What do you really ask for? Because that word ask can be translated desire or crave. And this opened up the meaning to me. What do you as a child of God crave? What do you really want as a child of God? Because he says, ask anything, anything you desire, anything you crave. So the question comes is, what's my heart's desire? What do I really crave? What do I really ask for? And as I said in the beginning, it's tied up in the context What does the context say? Let's look at verse 23 and 24. He tells us, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. That word obey is better translated guard, to keep. What do you desire? What you really desire is not to win the lottery. Not the child of God. You crave in your heart to guard your heart. To guard his commands. Your desire. Is to please him. Just get away from the hustle and bustle and think. What do I really desire? It's not a bigger house. It's not even for someone I love to get well. The more. I know and understand. El Shaddai. The glorious one. The more intimate I am with El Yeshua, the one who saved me, the one who pulled me out of darkness, who rescued me out of darkness and brought me into his life. The more I see El Hakabad, the God whose character is weighty and honorable. And the more I ask, what can I do to please you? How can I please you? The psalmist knew this. He saw it in in prospect more than than we sometimes. Psalms twenty seven verse four One thing I ask One thing I ask of the Lord. And then he says it he says it in, in the Jewish way of thinking. We have to translate this into the Christian way that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's not talking about saying the church building and listening to a sermon and singing some songs. He's saying living in the very presence of God. That's what I want. That's the one thing I ask. If I'm to ask one thing, is to be in the presence of God almighty. That's my heart's desire. And the answer is is how I do that is in verse 24, to believe and to love. Right there, believe. This is his command. This is what we hang on to. To believe in the character, the name of his son, and to love one another. That's my heart's desire. That's what I crave. And I know if you're a Christian, that's what you crave. That's really what you want. I want a faith, a growing faith. An act of faith, a complete trust in the One who loved me and gave Himself for me. I just want to be able to put myself. We sang the song. We some of the songs we sang, we're all along this line. We sing them. We sing them, and we don't even think about what we're singing. But this is what we're thinking: that we put our faith in Him, put our faith in His character, His name, His character, who He is. Remember, we looked at this already. The world and its desires, the things that you desire in the world, it passes away. For the man of God who does the will of God will live forever. He has zoe life. Forever life. The desires of the world, the things of the world, the comforts of the world, that's just things. They come and go. It's fine. I like things, but that's not where my desire is. It's the will of God. That's where life is. And when I'm saying and when I'm thinking straight and when I'm praying, all I ask is to just be like him. You've had those prayers. You don't know what you ask for. You just, oh, just just let me be like Jesus. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Chapter 2, verse 6. John's just expanding on all these things. And how's that seen? How's that faith seen? It's seen in our love for one another, our growing love for one another. Faith expressing itself in love. Galatians 5 6. We had a series of, um, uh, on that last year, I believe. What do you desire? What do you crave? You crave love. You crave to love other people and you crave to be loved. Isn't that true? I was sharing this with my dad. I said, You know, here's what you, we crave love. And dad said, And you crave to be loved by others. And I was like, Wow, you're right. You just opened up it even further. What do you want? Tonight, bowl of soup for supper in the middle of a home filled with peace and love? Or a $50 steak with the trimmings with fussing and fighting? What's your choice? You can't say the $50 steak and love. Proverbs 15, 7 says, Better a meal with vegetables where there is love than great wealth with turmoil. Isn't that true? You know that's what you want. You, you, you'd rather have a bowl of soup, a vegetable soup, in the middle of love than the most expensive filet mignon in fighting and fussing. This is how we know what love is. We just read this in chapter 2, verse 16. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives for our, for our brothers. Oh, Lord, help me. Grow in that attitude. That's what I want. That's what you want. You want to grow in that. That's your heart's desire. You're, you're the, the desire, the new heart that God created in you, that he recreated in you, brought to new, new life, is to have that heart. You ask for faith. You ask for your faith to be increased. And God will give you those things that you really need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Your faith will increase. Anything you ask, ask and your faith will grow. You see the love of God. You see the love of Christ. You come over, so overwhelmed with it that you pray for your love to grow and God will give you your heart's desire. That's really your heart's desire. You'll have opportunities to learn, to experience, to understand what it means to be to love others and to be loved by others. Let me give you two quick true stories. People in this congregation, these stories came this this past month, and I'm not going to go into any detail at all, but here were, here's two prayers. The first prayer was a mother who said, I, I prayed at one time in my life for our family. I, I felt our family was not together like it should be, and I prayed that... God would do whatever it takes to bring our family together in love and unity. Now, she said, I only ask for one thing. Don't take any of my children. Just, but do whatever it takes. short time later, she had cancer, other physical trials. And mother got what she prayed for. Unity and love in the family. And you know what she said to me? If I had to do it all over again, If I got to pray for it again, I wouldn't ask for anything different. It's okay. I wouldn't ask for cancer, but the cancer brought forth love and faith. And it's worth it. The lady was traveling across the country by herself. The car broke down in the middle of nowhere. Circumstances, I ended up being on the phone with her. She had some options. One was to buy a $6,000 car where she was broken down. The other ones get towed 155 miles to the nearest place that could fix her car for $700. There's a lot of stress in that situation. No one's close by. And so uh, I said, well, I don't know what to do, but I do know that $700 is cheaper than (laughs) $6,000. You don't know what's going to happen when you get to the other end. I just, I don't know. And so, call back a few hours later, and tow had taken place, dropped off at a dealership to fix the car. Um, I was on the phone with her. She was being taken to a hotel by someone from the dealership. And we were talking about things, and I I mean, I I didn't know what to do. I mean, what, what do you do in a situation like this? And I said, well, here's my advice. You get to the hotel, you read your Bible, read some Psalms, you know, uh, pray about it, just turn it over to the Lord. I don't know what to do, but I know someone who does know what to do, and that's God. I know that God will take care of it some way, somehow. I don't know how, but it's going to be taken care of. You just get there and don't worry. Read your Bible, pray about it, and get a good night's sleep. And then she said something to me about, oh, okay, be my spiritual doctor. Okay. Hung up the phone. The next day what happened was the man giving her a ride heard that. Spiritual doctor. Oh, are you a Christian? He asked her. Conversation went on. Went back to the dealership. It's going to cost $2,500 to fix your car can we work out a deal went to the finance department no, no deal can't work out a deal no payments on this type of thing brought her into the room and said this we're Christians here and you're a Christian we're going to fix it free wow that's faith I, we don't know what to do God we don't know what to do we don't have the money we don't, we don't know what to do we'll turn it over to you now listen very carefully this is very important We do not put our faith in circumstances. These were two circumstances that worked out well. We do not put our faith in circumstances. Our faith does not rest in the fact that a good thing happened to us. The faith is in the Lord. It's based in His Word. And when things go good, it simply comforts us in our faith. I don't even think it confirms our faith. It comforts us in our faith. Because sometimes things go bad. And when things go bad, there's no difference. Our faith is in the Lord, that He will work this out, and we will grow in faith, and we will grow in love, despite the circumstance. Some of you had stories that you pray for something and did not work out. That's okay. How's your faith? You're anchoring your faith? Are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your love? Faith? Belief and love. We do that, we will grow in our joy. One of the purposes of First John. You grow in faith and love and you won't pray for anything that will cause you to sin or cause others to sin. Another purpose of John. You grow in your faith and love, you'll be assured of your salvation. You'll know. You'll know. Because you're anchored in His love. And your faith in Him. Let me read verses 19 through 21. Then I'm going to show you one more thing. And extend the invitation of the paraphrase. You see, when the love of God is put into practice in our lives, we enter into a growing knowledge that we are authentically of the truth, truly of Christ. We then can quieten our tempestuous hearts as we live in his presence, even at those times when our conscience rises up and points an accusing finger at every sin and inconsistency in our life. For you see, God is far greater than our self-condemning hearts and transcends our human limitations. He knows and understands all. Loved ones of God, if our hearts have been put at peace and rest, then we speak freely before God, unhampered by fear or shame. And then the very thing we absolutely crave and desire, we receive from Him because we are treasuring, guarding, and obeying His commands And we do what pleases our Lord. And this is his explicit command. Completely entrust yourself in the entirety of the character of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another in the way that he has shown, told, and directed you to do so. This wonderful relationship for those who are in Christ. Know him. And so every Sunday, we're, we come up here and say, you know, we we'll give you the opportunity to put him on in, in baptism. Uh, a couple of months ago, our friend Joanna from Fiji came to visit us. Go ahead. And I, I, I don't know when this was, two weeks ago? I don't know. I don't even know. Time, time just goes. Uh, after being with us for a while, and we've known her for 20-something years. I don't know. I don't know how long. Long time. twenty six. Who's counting? <laughs> We're able to share our faith with her and on this day baptize her into Christ. And the wonderful these these passages I want to put up here, for you are all sons of God through faith. That's nothing to do with a with a work of baptism. There's no such thing. It's through your faith in Christ Jesus. He says, "For this is how your faith works out. All of you who were baptized, immersed into Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. You stand before Almighty God clothed in Christ. And your sins are washed away and you put on Christ in baptism. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised through your faith. That act was an act of faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. It's that simple. That's how long it takes for someone to go from darkness to light. Do you have the faith? Let me mention one brief thing. Joanne goes back to Fiji on uh, Tuesday. She has some family members who who um, are anti-Christian, who are um, well, let's just say that anti-Christian. And she wants, she's asked that, she allowed me to put this on here, but she asked, do not put this on Facebook or public media at all because she wants to first sit down with family members and talk to them directly face-to-face, face-to-face before they have the opportunity to prepare themselves and and be against uh, what she has to say to them. But we want you to rejoice with her. She's up here. And we wanted to let you know, because many of you people uh, have known her and met her over the last uh, few months that she's been with us. And want to, I know, want to uh, rejoice with her. But again, keep that private until she can get home and and actually share and, and pray for her. Pray that her faith will be evident, her love will be evident, and that she can share her faith and love with her family members at home.